Well, this morning, um, we conclude our series, uh, sermon series on walking by faith. And uh, next week we begin Advent season already. We're going to be going through the Psalms for Advent um, and for Christmas. But this morning, as we conclude our series, we look at one more thing. Uh, We're calling it this morning Living Systems. Something called living system. So living system, it's, a, it's living, it's a system. A living system is a relationship in which we are so interconnected to one another that we become impacted by one another. We're emotionally connected to one another. Every single person here this morning is connected to a living system, whether it might be our work or family or school, sports, church, and more. The fact that you are here this morning means that you are in a living system. And in a living system, our behavior and our choices affect one another. Often in ways that we're not even aware of. When we welcome people into the membership of the church, when we, when we accept new members and, and they become members, whether through public profession or transfer, we welcome them to our joys, we welcome them to our struggles and our sorrows. We're not only emotionally connected, but we are also spiritually connected in the church. As a living system, we all have an impact on one another. Hopefully very positive impact. Often negative ways as well. Last week we talked about uh, stress and anxiety and tension and referred to healthy tension that motivates us to make healthy changes towards God's will. But there is often unhealthy anxiety or tension in organizations and systems in the church. In a system, when one person gets anxious, it often quickly spreads to others because we are so connected. So it's good that we are so connected. But take a flock of birds, for example. They're gathered around a bird feeder. And one of the birds notices this cat slowly creeping up towards the birds. And this one bird takes off in a panic. But the other birds are not even aware of the danger, but they automatically react to the one bird's anxiety. And so they will all follow suit and fly away. The anxiety of that one first bird quickly passed through the system of the birds. And actually this was a positive reaction because it likely saved lives. The church is a living system. But we also know it to be more than that because the church is a community. The church is a community called by God. The church is what scripture calls and refers to as a body, the living, dynamic body of Christ. So today the passage from Ephesians 4 that we're going to be reading focuses on a living system. It focuses on specifically the church, the body of Christ. It focuses us. It focuses on our calling of being unity keepers and peacemakers. Now, just to provide a little context before we get to that reading, the book of Ephesians begins uh, the first three chapters, referring to all that God has done for His people through His Son Jesus Christ. The first three chapters are reminders of God's amazing love. We sang that song. His amazing grace through Jesus Christ on the cross. And how this is a free gift for God's people. For it is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2. Chapter 3 refers to God's love. And how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. And then the following three chapters, verses 4 to 6, provide some practical ways to fulfill God's purpose for His church. 
We have received freedom through God's Son, Jesus Christ. We've been freed from our sins. We've been freed from our burdens through Christ. And how are we going to respond as followers and as a church community? Well, one of the responses is laid out for us in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, our reading this morning. So before we read from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6... Let's pray together. Lord God, you call us to be in relationship with you and with one another. And sometimes we do okay, but other times we just blow it. And we tend to get in the way and we depend on ourselves and let our pride lead the way rather than focus on you and imitate you and let you lead the way. So as we now read these ancient words that bless us today, may your spirit work in our hearts to listen to what you are saying to us, to a body, to your church. And Lord, help us to apply these words to ourself. Not just to the, not, not to the person beside me or behind me or in front of me, but to me. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us through the power of your holy word. So that we become the church, the body, the living system that you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6 is our reading for this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we're going to get right to it. Verse 1, Paul urges all believers to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Again, if God's love is so great as Paul expresses to his readers in chapter 3, again, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, then believers should value his love enough to be shaped by it. If you have been called by God, you have been loved by God, then you are urged to live the life of that calling. Friedrich Nietzsche, 19th century German philosopher, who was and probably still is popular for his phrase, God is dead, said this about Christians. I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who have been saved. Tough words. And Paul says, let's act like the people who have been saved by God. Let's live our lives, and that means our relationships, like we are indeed believers in Jesus Christ and followers of Jesus Christ, saved by Him. It's a sad reality that there are people in the churches who look like they have not been saved. We should be coming to church with joy. Not always with smiles, maybe, but with joy. 
with joy despite our circumstances. Despite our circumstances, Jesus has called his people. He's called us. He's died for us. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we have all been given a call in by the Lord. We are divinely selected members of Christ's body. And as members of this body, we are provided with direct instruction on how to live worthy lives. How to fulfill the calling of us being in this body. So verse 2, we read that we're to be completely humble and gentle. Patient, be patient. Bearing one another in love. So many of us need to ask for God's forgiveness in these areas. Me as well. We must be humble. Now, humble is humility or, or translated as like lowliness or powerless. And during the time of this writing, of this passage, humility was actually a very negative word. I, I think it probably still is. Because Ephesians wanted to live their life to the fullest. They wanted to be proud people, to be powerful people. You don't be humble. And yet, nevertheless, humility became a virtue for the Christian. As Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Philippians 2, verse 3. So how can we express our humility in our relationships? It's not about low self-esteem. Because we all have value in Christ. But maybe in our relationships we shouldn't always assume that we're always correct. Or we need to begin to listen better to others. Not necessarily agreeing, but at least listen. Not gossiping. Not creating alliances or sides with others. Because this often leads to destructive behavior. Be humble. And then Paul goes on to say, be humble, but also gentle. Be humble and gentle. And gentleness is closely linked to humility. Gentleness should never, again, like humility, shouldn't be confused with weakness. Rather, gentleness is connected with the spirit of submissiveness. Again, submitting to others. Putting others ahead of ourselves. Not putting ourselves first. It's not necessarily giving in or walking away from conflict. It's being gentle. It's being gracious in the midst of conflict. And be patient. Patient is steadfast endurance. It's being strong in the face of adversity. Patience refers to slowness in avenging wrong. Patience is not reacting too quickly when it appears that we have been wronged. It still involves reacting, but not overreacting. Patience is perhaps even taking a time out if needed. Yes, kids need timeouts, but so do adults. And then Paul says, we must bear with one another in love. And bearing with one another in love actually can be translated as putting up with one another. In love. And scripture has a lot of one another statements. Uh, for those who are reading the Today devotional this month, the pastor there, the devotions are going through the one another statements in the New Testament. 
God wants us to love one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another. And the list goes on. God wants us to put up with one another in love. That means that we not only have to put up with others, but others have to put up with us as well. The feeling is mutual. Bearing one another in love is not laying blame on another, because how easy isn't it to find fault with others, right? It's their fault. They did it. They wronged me. But bearing one another in love is taking responsibility ourselves. Asking ourselves, what impact does my positive or negative behavior have on the system, on the body? What did I contribute to this? In a positive way, or perhaps a negative way. So these four words that were given here are not just personality traits. Rather, they're divine characteristics. There are ways in which we can live our lives worthy of the calling we have received. And all these four divine characteristics must occur in love. I know some are thinking, well, you know, there he goes talking about love again. There's more than just love. Well, you know what? (laughs) If you can hear the words of love, that more will come into place. We continue to read in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're called to make every effort. Translated, Greek language, this means keep on making every effort. Never stop making efforts. Part of our calling as believers is to continuously make an effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Continuously make an effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, first of all, unity is made effective by the Spirit. Believers are called to keep unity. We're called to preserve it. Believers do not create unity. Unity is given by the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of the Spirit. So our church here, Exeter Christian Reformed Church, has been granted, has been graced with unity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And why wouldn't it be? Because Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body of Christ. God's saints, His holy people, called. Of course He's going to grace grace us, His church, with unity. It's a given. We are not unity creators. Unity is through the Holy Spirit. But we have a responsibility. And it's up to believers to keep and preserve this unity that is given by the Spirit. Again, we are never to stop making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We do it continuously. We're unity keepers. Not unity makers. The Holy Spirit's a unity maker... We are the keepers. But although we do not create unity, we're darn good at destroying unity. And we can destroy unity rather quickly. We do that so often with hurtful words, words of gossip. Oh, but we say, I'm just showing concern. We destroy unity when we get together looking for only like-minded people 
and then creating alliances, talking negatively. And that's a big one in the churches. We cover our negative talk, we cover it up with calling it coffee time or tea time or Bible study. We destroy unity through our bitterness, through our lack of forgiveness. We destroy unity through our lack of humility, our lack of gentleness, our lack of patience, our lack of bearing one another in love. And we can say, Lord, forgive us. You see, living in unity is not optional for the believer. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are called to be unified. Because our actions have an impact on Jesus' reputation. Our effort to maintain unity has an impact on Jesus' reputation. So we're told to value unity. We're to put unity as a priority. Invest our energy into it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, too often churches are so concerned about so many other issues that in doing so, we break down unity. Unity focuses on the commonality of goals and the vision of the body. Unity emphasizes the purpose of the body as one body. You see, not the purpose of the individual. So your purpose as an individual may totally be different than the purpose beside you, the person beside you, and your purpose may even be totally different than the purpose of the body, and that's okay. That's that diversity in in unity. Paul talks about that later on in chapter 4. You are a different person than the man or woman, the girl or boy who's beside you, but you may be a different person. Well, you are a different person, but you're the same body. One body. And if we believe that we share all this oneness together, as verses 4 to 6 refers to, talks about the oneness, no personal ambitions will be allowed to break such unity, providing Christ is honored and served as Lord. And we say, well, we are serving the Lord. I would say, forgive us, Lord, for too often serving ourselves. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. What are each of us doing to ensure that the body is unified? Or maybe another question is, what do we need to stop to ensure that we're not disunified? Because we're called to be unity keepers. But that's not all of it, because this verse ends with, through the bond of peace. We're called to be unity keepers and peacemakers. We're called to keep unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. Now this is speaking of our horizontal relationships among fellow believers. It speaks of a relationship of of unity among fellow believers. It speaks of relationship of oneness among fellow believers. It is behaving like people who have been saved by Christ alone. Now, there are many books and even our small group material that will refer to two responses to conflict and and anxiety in, in our living systems or in our relationships. And you've probably heard it before. You can flight or you can fight. The flight response avoids conflict and as a result, often fails to resolve it. It's about peace 
faking. Pretending the conflict does not exist. That's flight. The second response to conflict is fight. Where people will have the attitude of, come on, bring it on. I'll fight you. Not necessarily physical, but verbal. And this is about peace breaking. But there's a third and biblical response. <clears throat> Keeping unity. It's to reconcile. It's to bring together, to resolve, to settle in an appropriate manner. This response includes you and me and, and Jesus. And this is peacemaking. And peacemaking is not even the same as peacekeeping. It's not about keeping the peace. Because keeping the peace could easily lead to that flight option. Escaping conflict inappropriately. But peacemaking is intentional. As Paul says, keep the unity through the bond of peace. So we're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers simply keep the peace. Peacemakers keep the unity. And we're called to be peacemakers. We need to make peace, not just keep peace. We need to make peace in order to keep the unity. And that may mean dealing with things directly in a loving way. Always bearing one another in love. Putting up with one another. It's that healthy conflict that we get to practice. So making peace is not the absence of conflict or anxiety, but rather it's the presence of love and the presence of unity. Again, going back to verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love because of Jesus. Because we've been saved. We get to live out our salvation today. You see, God is deeply concerned about peace. Because peace has come with a cost. But the cost wasn't ours to bear. Peace with God has come to us through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Again, we're reminded how we're going to celebrate that sacrament next week. And if you believe that you have been saved by grace through Jesus, then you have peace with God. And you're to make peace with others. And you're called to keep the unity. Paul writes in Romans 12, 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, the onus is on us to make peace. We can't decide for other people. We can only decide for ourselves. How are we impacting the living system? How are we impacting the body of Christ? So how are you going to live up to your calling? How are you at keeping unity? How are you at making peace? What are you doing about negative talk? What are you doing about gossip or hurtful comments or bitterness or lack of forgiveness? Are you preparing yourself to fight or flight? Or are you striving to be humble and gentle and patient, tolerating one another in love? Are you striving to be a unity keeper by being a peacemaker? And it's risky stuff. 
especially when we're all in a living system, when we're all in a body, a community that has a big impact on one another. But know that the Spirit is pouring the gift of unity among us, upon us. God has blessed us with unity at Exeter Christian Reformed Church, and it's up to His people to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And we have an opportunity to live up to that calling that we've received. We have the opportunity to become peacemakers and unity keepers. Amen.